Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well, um, we've said so often that this uh, FCS game is no upside, all downside, and it reared its ugly head yet, yet again as... Southern Illinois came in and, and knocked off the cats. Woo, pig um, saluki. I think yeah. I think we broke our record this week for people getting at us being like, so are, are you going to be putting this up Monday? Can you wait an extra day? <laughs> <laughs> I think there are people literally being like, I need time to come to terms with this before you guys record it. And and we get it. I think we're, we're of the opinion that it's just uh, – Let's get it done with. <laughs> but to to be fair, oftentimes we record on Sunday nights and it's out first thing Monday morning. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you did get an extra day to, to digest. <laughs> hey, look, yeah. he, here's my suggestion. Th- throw this on while you're either like working out, like you're cranking out a run or uh, hitting the treadmill or something like take 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 your frustration and anger with Northwestern football out on some sort of exercise device um, and, and reap the benefits for your, for your health. Or as I'm doing, pour yourself, you know, a tequila old fashioned, put Ooh. the, put the, the TV on mute with the football game or something else. And, um, and just, you know, Dr- just, drink your troubles away. I'm just, you said tequila old fashioned. I'm like, this is the kind of night where you're just like, I'm making it old fashioned. What's the closest thing? Tequila. Give me, give me it. And just grab the <laughs> no. closest bottle. <laughs> hey, no. F- hold on. Sidebar. Um, tequila and, and like orange liqueur, like Grand Marnier, is, that is a perfect combination. And it's basically a margarita. Uh, there's just no, minus, the, minus the lime. Yeah, there's no lime. I, I squeezed a little OJ in there, or like a little orange juice, a little, uh, little orange peel. Um, it, trust me, it works. It's really good. And my wife would actually drink this because she likes tequila, whereas bourbon makes her like run the other direction. It's her only flaw. Listen, listen to us filibustering already. We're already <laughs> I was just there. Say. <laughs> uh, where, do, where do we begin? I mean, there's so many things that went wrong on, on Saturday. And, you know, it, we can't really put your finger on any one thing that really stood out above anything else. I mean, we had turnovers. We gave up, you know, huge plays defensively. Our secondary is a mash unit. Our defensive line is tiny. I mean, you could go on and on and on. Uh, the weather was, like, the wind was a, a factor. But, you know, we're... I think it'd be we'd be remiss if we didn't start with just the biggest thing out there, and that's Northwestern's September's. And under Pat Fitzgerald, the September's for Northwestern have been brutal, and it's the non-conference. And it, it's I, I think it, every year we say they got to do better, they got to do better. I think at this point, this is what Northwestern is. September's are going to be bad. And unless something drastic changes. Well, I think like, I mean, just to, to zoom out a little bit, like we want, we wanted to start with Fitz tonight. Right. And I think that's the, like the, the, the crux of, so we're what, like, we're going into another non-conference game against a Mac opponent next week. Um, 
We're six and a half point favorites. Like, buckle up, folks. Uh, but he, he, here's here's the here's the thing. Like, there's a there's kind of two talk tracks out there right now. I feel like in the Northwestern fandom, and one of them is this train is off the rails. This team is horrible. It's the same story as last year. It's the same story as 2019. What are we going to do? And then there's another talk track that's like, Fitz doesn't care about September. Like this happens all the time. There's so, there's so many examples where it has happened, where the team, you know, comes together and they, and you know, they, they like they, they turtle shell, they go for super vanilla in the non-con. They don't want to show anything. And then they, they step it up once conference season starts. And I think like, regardless which of those two things turns out to be true, because right now we just don't know. And I think you can either take the optimist view of, hey, we've seen this story before and it turned out all right. Or you can take the pessimist view of, hey, this is three out of the last four years and it's been a train wreck. Wherever it goes, like in this moment, I feel like Northwestern and, and, and Pat Fitzgerald are at a crossroads in a way that they haven't been since, what, like end of 2014? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, and I think, and again, it's like to go, this is part, I mean, we're going to get into all of the different places the anger is coming from, but, but this is part of it where you're right. It's such an important thing because like Sam said, Sam listed the things off. I mean, you can, you can fly over the top of this game in a helicopter and be like, look, we like our defense is just like you said devastated by injuries like we knew the kind of mess we were against the run and then just literally our entire secondary entire secondary leveled by injuries and then the all the tur- and then like oh and you turn over turn it over four times on offense and you can lose to absolutely anybody in those situations and then folding at the same time, we're all realizing that Nebraska really may have the worst defense in all of the FBS. I think they're 126th right now with out of 130 teams with all of their hardest games. Not not Oklahoma, but so many of their other hardest games still on the schedule and that they very well may bottom out at 130. And that's taking the air out of so much. So, so, so you can easily fly over the top of this and be like, yeah, like Northwestern's defense is an absolute just disaster zone right now and we turned it over four times on offense and that Nebraska game made us believe maybe that there was something there that there's not some of those things may be true in a larger sense none of that has any bearing on us being the only power five team to lose to an FCS team this season and that is the whole other piece and that's where the Fitz piece comes right back in because I mean this is not the first Illinois FCS team we have watched this team lose to. It, it's um, been a it's been a decade of of September's like this, right? And and Scuzz is absolutely right. We know that the play calls come into it. We know that you know that there are whatever it is. I mean, there are these other things where it's like letting teams jump out on you early, and some of that's on like defensive play calling. And again, we're going to get into all of that, but it is it's it's that thing. And again, it's like fits in the press conference, right? He's coming out and being like, SIU threw some gadget stuff at us we weren't expecting. And Northwestern Nation just doesn't want to hear that. So, after, so, many, so many gadget plays, guys. Like a, like a tight end fly route. I, uh, I just, a, a, a running back that can throw the ball on occasion. Like, I just, and it, it is, it's really rough. And, and that's part of it. And I think that's where, again, you've got, some some simmering stuff 
the whole September thing, you know, that Northwestern fans are simmering. And also because, again, they feel like with limited playbooks and prioritizing conferences and stuff, that, that these are things that, that have happened before and that we've seen enough of it at this point that we can no longer chalk it up to random chance and that we just know that the approach that we're using is part of that. And then... Also, I, think I mean, the, it's it's take the line out of Battlestar Galactica. All of this has happened before, and all this will happen again. <laughs> yeah, right. I like. So I I want to because I, I, I'm sure there are some people who are who are reacting to what what you just said, John, and kind of think like, well, well, what else is Fitz supposed to say? Well, here's one here's one example. This is a quote from Mel Tucker, the head coach of Michigan State, whose team got absolutely diced up by Michael Penix Jr., which, I mean, frankly, like a lot of teams have gotten diced up by Michael Penix Jr. In fact, he has diced up Michigan State in the past as well. But um, he was asked uh, after, you know, watching the tape on giving up nearly 400 yards to Michael Penix and note that Mel Tucker coaches the cornerbacks on the Michigan State defense. He was asked uh, how he felt about it, if he takes it personal. Here's his quote. Hell yeah, I take it personal. I take it all personal. The resume's on the tape. Right now, I'm a horseshit football coach. That is the head coach of Michigan State University taking accountability, taking responsibility in a, in a, in a very clear and direct way for what's going on with his team. And like, so that is a, that is a, that is a polar opposite response from what we typically get I mean, maybe, maybe like the most we've ever heard from from Fitz and and the staff, and and typically his his DC and OC are rarely in the spotlight, which I think is by design, and that's fine. But typically we get, ah, oh, man, we should have you know, like we didn't prepare them well enough. We need to coach them up more. But then there's always like a an execution thing and this thing. Like we we never get that sort of kind of raw reaction of we like we've really messed this up. We're, we're not on top of it. It, it always feels like defensiveness um, and uh, obfuscation. I don't even know if that's the right word, but it, it just... Obfuscation, yeah. Thank, thank you, Sammy. Thank you, journalist. Um, I'm just a, a lowly economist in this in this world. Anyways... Um, as, as a Medill grad. <laughs> sorry. Um, but no, but the, 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 the broad point is like, there's an alternative way that you can talk about this stuff as a coach and 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 be genuine and and still be tough and still still demand accountability for your players like at no point will will you hear from any of us that that the players should be like oh yeah it's the coach's fault and that's not what you ever hear from our guys either i mean holinsky got up up there in front of the press today and took took it on himself why won't why won't john o'neill or or pajakian or fitz get up there and take it on themselves why is it always got to be the players both things can be true at once so well and that's something that i wanted to get at so a lot of you are probably aware that Sam and I watched the game with Evan Hall's family, um, Evan Hall's parents, and um, which, first of all, was a fantastic experience. I mean, it was, I mean, they are Scott, just- Shout out to them. Scuzz is super jealous, by the way. Yeah, it was, they're just fantastic people who raised a fantastic kid, and it was awesome to sit with them. But one of the things that became very clear, listening to them and listening to them talk about their son- um, about Evan Hall, like without going into any specifics, it is just very clear that A, Evan Hall completely buys in to the culture, to everything Pat Fitzgerald has built, to everything Pat Fitzgerald stands for, the values of the program, the culture of the program. He could not subscribe more and personal accountability. 
that right now, Evan Hall's takeaway is, my fumble is where this was, and every good thing I did in this game, the bottom line is a personal accountability, personal accountability for me putting that ball on the ground, and it's all about me and me getting better and helping the team, and that is all phenomenal, right? That's everything that you want, and it's a testament, obviously, to Evan Hall and his family, but also to all the best things about Fitz and Fitz building that culture and everything that he's developed and made Northwestern that special place. But I tell you, hearing all of that and then watching Ryan Holinsky stand up there and just eat it and own it and put it all on himself in that way and not having Jim O'Neill and Mike Bajakian standing up in front of a microphone and owning the disaster those two guys turned in on Saturday hurts. Because again, as we've said, yeah, tons of injuries in the defense decimated. Yeah, bunch of turnovers on offense. Okay, those things by themselves were not enough to lose to an 0-2 FCS team that had been getting shredded, right? That had given up 69 points to Incarnate Word. Those two coaches turned in a disaster on Saturday. And not seeing that accountability, right? I think when you see so many players stepping up and falling, and frankly, a portion of the fan base happy to get at those players and be like, they had to do better. This is on them. You know, the O line looked good against Nebraska. Where are they now? Et cetera, et cetera. I'm just like, if we're talking about accountability and we're talking about responsibility, then I want to see some of that out of those two coordinators who, you know, turned in a disaster class. I know we're going to go into it, but again, it just stings. It stings because you're right. There is that lack of accountability. And I know a lot of the people in the fan base right now are tracing that accountability back to hiring decisions, right? Um, and and looking for it and being like, where's the total accountability here um, that, that's going to make this team better? Well, and when I think it's important to call it, like, I, I said this on Twitter and, and talking about, like, so, you know, some people, some, some, somebody said something about like, oh, you know, the coaches didn't make those turnovers and a lot of those passes were inaccurate. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is, this is the worst possible take. Like Ryan Holinsky came into this game as the leading passer in the big 10 college players, college quarterbacks are going to have off days. Right. The, the coach's job is to figure out in the game when that's not working, how do we adjust and do something different? And look, coaches can have off days too. I don't know that we've ever heard these coaches say we had an off day, and that's what's that's that's what's that's what stings here. It's 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 kind of this. It's like this. Um, I don't want to call it gaslighting because I don't think that's what it is. But it's like we're almost in denial here about what what what's happening. And the one moment of accountability that you can point to in the last ten years is at the end of twenty nineteen when Fitz let McCall go finally after many years of of frustration with the offense and then intoned the words never again. And guess what? Here we are for the second time since that, um, looking at a a, a potential really, really rough, poor season. And that, um, look, and and look to your point, John, like that you made it like Fitz's culture as a culture builder, as, as the face of this program, as a leader who could, who can help transform uh, Northwestern football and garner the support that that uh, a college football, a major college football team needs. 
the recruiting, the relationship with his players. Like I am still all aboard the Fitz train. I just like this coordinator situation has been really bad. Well, let's get, so let's get into it. Let's table Jim O'Neill and give, (laughs) give the blood of Northwestern nation a chance to rise even more because it feels like when it comes to, when it comes to Jim O'Neill, the wave in Northwestern nation is cresting right now. Um, But let's talk about Bajakian. So I guess one of the things to me is, so on one hand, I'll totally accept that we now know just how horrific Nebraska is on defense. I don't think any of us were really expecting that. They were a mediocre, not good, but a mediocre Big Ten defense last, last uh, year. I, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, like, yes, but like, let's let's put a pin in that until the end of the season. Well, no. Well, so I mean, like, they, so they... And and right, I mean, we know. Well, the, the, I'll I'll, the, say, I'll say this, John. Nebraska, one million percent, has a lot more talent on their defense than SIU, and that's oh, not a no, shot at no, no, SIU. No, no. no, you're absolutely right, and I think that you're you're totally right. And I think I think where I was going with this was there. There's that piece where some people are being like, "Well, if our line looks so great," and I'll admit it is seductive when a line looks so good. Nothing is better than watching guys dominate in the running game and get everything right and move guys around and everything. And it was just perfect. But one of the things that kind of makes me mad is that people would come out of a game like this and be like, where's that running attack now? And it'd be like, on the field, every time they ran the ball. And that's one of the things that drives me nuts. And I'll throw this out to you guys. Who would you guys say was the best running team in the Big Ten West last year? Wisconsin? If it was, I mean, Wisconsin, I guess, certainly. But I, I guess, Illinois? I guess, I mean, the name Illinois that ran I, the ball pretty well last year. Well, the name that I'm thinking about is the team that ran the ball. On oh, Minnesota. All, all, all of them. Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota, right? Not, a, not, uh, after I, not after Ibrahim went down. Well, they were chuggling through a bunch of backs, right? But they were certainly doing a concerted attempt to run the ball as much as possible on fair, the ground. Fair, fair, fair. Right? Yes. Um, and using their offensive line. The reason I bring Minnesota up is that we talked about this in the summer, but of all, like Minnesota was one of the top rushing teams in the country, but their average per carry was the second lowest, I think, of all the top 40 rushing teams in the country. They got like four yards a carry. They just ground it out. At the end of the day, it's about first downs and about touchdowns. And I think like one thing to look at when you look at Evan Hall's numbers is Evan Hall's averaging 100 yards a game and 4.8 yards a carry through three games. Last year, he averaged 5.1 yards a carry with a long of 90 and several other yard gains, like up above 60, 70 yards a gain, right? Like he broke all those long runs or got stuffed at the line. This year he's grabbing four yards a carry, five yards a carry. And one of the things that drives us nuts, and this is part of the reason that started us down this uh, coordinator road, the fact that people would come out of this game not thinking we had a ton of success running the ball. And so if you look at the stats, we carried the ball 44 times in this game. Three of those registered carries are sacks on Ryan Halinski. So that's 41 carries in this game. 
of those 41 carries, 20 of those carries were in the first three drives of the game where we gained 179 yards and scored two of our three touchdowns in the game. And if you look at the drive charts after those games, uh, after those, you'll see we punted on the next drive, a drive that we ran the ball a single time. The drive after that, Evan Hall had a carry for six yards and Ryan Holinsky threw an interception on the next play. And the drive after that, Evan Hall carried for eight yards, then nine yards, then Ryan Holinsky threw another interception, and then it was halftime. At halftime, we had 30 of the total carries we were going to have in the entire game. And I don't know how much it came through for those of you who were not actually at the game, but as this game progressed, the wind got heavier and heavier and heavier until there was a driving south to north wind. And this is one of the big things that we're getting at because we just wanted it to be clear that after the first quarter of Northwestern's possessions, we had half of all the carries we'd have in the game for a ton of yards and two long drives and two touchdowns. And put yourself in an OC shoes. You watch the end of that half where you had the two long drives, then watch your star running back have three long carries that all directly preceded two interceptions. And then you take one last look at that American flag hanging on for dear life on that pole. And then you go and drop your plan for the second half. What kind of plan are you going to draw up? Is it maybe something where we stuff the ball into the line 35 times? Because <laughs> that's what I would have done. Well, um, especially, I mean, like, well, let's look at the, I mean, this isn't the freaking 85 bears that we're going up against on defense. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a defense that we should outweigh and should outpower and should out talent. And yes, if they're stacking nine in the box, like maybe we don't run up the gut with no lead blocker. Right. Um, or maybe we make sure that we've got some sort of misdirection or RPO action on the back of it that, that gives us an out if they, if they bring the house. Um, but I just like, I, I felt like as that game went on, I watched Northwestern pull more and more players back into pass protection. We were running a lot of 22 personnel, two running backs, two, two tight ends. We were keeping a lot of those players into block. Some of those players were struggling with blocks. Holinsky through the first two weeks of the season was pretty damn good at getting the ball out quickly, even to his check down receivers in space. It, it, it just feels like we couldn't get out of our own way. And again, yeah. like off days happen. And that's the thing. I mean, we've, we've got Ryan Holinsky apologizing for his performance and we totally get that. And we're not saying he didn't have a rough day, right? I mean, there are two picks. There was another pick six that was waved off because of a yep. penalty away from the play, right? Really rough day. C- couple, but, of tipped, couple of tipped right, balls, but, the, tipped but balls. That, the, the one over the middle of the linebacker was particularly bad. I think also that, that like really hurt his confidence because as as we got into that second half like it wasn't just it wasn't just the wind it was like like he he had no confidence throwing and then there was there was this talk track in the fourth quarter when it was like oh my god northwestern has to score i think this was the drive where we got our third touchdown but there's this talk track around like 
the the announcers were all but begging for Northwestern to just like scheme up, dial up some easy throws for Ryan to help get him back in rhythm. And then and we did. And it was like, could could we have done this like a quarter and a half ago, maybe if we were if this was the plan? It just it just seems like the like the planning just is. And I know the plan doesn't always go according to plan. And I know that players have, have to execute. And I know that bad bounces happen and it, like a tip ball gets picked off and all of a sudden you're feeling pressure and this, that other thing. But like, God damn it, as an offensive coordinator in the Big Ten, it's your job to not lose your head in those moments. Right. And, and I look at this. I mean, I look at the second half. Right. I mean, we by the second half, it was clear. A. Holinsky wasn't at his best. The weather was rapidly getting worse. And I know some of you are being like, it didn't bother SIU. Oh, we'll get to SIU. Um, the <laughs> Don't you worry. Um, the And then some of the decisions in the second half. So, I mean, again, we we had... We ran a play, right? So again, and are you, you talking about it, the Cam Porter play now? Well, so there are several, but yes, on a third and one. When hold we on, were, the, the, allow me to set the stage. Yeah, on on first down, we run RPO action, handoff to Evan Hall up the gut, five yards. On second down, we run RPO action to Evan Hall up the gut for four and a half yards. It is now third and like barely a yard. Right, and on third and one, deep in SIU territory. We pull out a formation we have not run all year. A like 1980s offset eye with Evan Hall and Cam Porter on the field. I think Evan Hall was at like offset eye fullback. And, and, P- and, and Porter got the direct snap. And Porter got the direct snap. SIU just stuffed nine in the box. They brought everybody. Because of course everybody. you bring everybody and, when you and, see that formation, and you're like, and and you're like, well, it's on the offensive line. I mean, I might not go with a formation we literally have not run the entire season in the middle of a game. Um, I might stick with as Scuzz said, just the offense, um, the, and just the run whole, the the whole effing point of RPO action is that you can ensure if they bring nine you know that you've got like three receivers or three options that are wide open and you just like dump it to the, it doesn't matter if it, it doesn't even matter if it needs to trail uh, to travel by pony express because there are no defenders out there. It can take its time. And I mean that, that killed a drive. So I mean like when you're adding up and you're like, well, if we're so good and we're moving the ball, like where are these drives? It's the turnovers. It's like, well, it was that one. We ran a couple of super deep plays in bad weather, in unnecessary situations, with bad results. We ran the deep ball to Donnie Navarro, where he had his guy beat. The ball sailed 10 yards past him because it was being thrown into in the same direction as a driving wind. And the ball just carried in the air. And Donnie had no chance of catching up with it. And then the other one, which we ran into the wind, uh, led to Cam Porter trying to pick up a guy, and Porter blew the block and sack fumble. And that was one of our four turnovers on the game. And it's like, I mean, or we could have just hammered him. I mean, again, I can't stress, this game started with us plowing them on the ground, exclusively on the ground, for 180 yards and two touchdowns, and then watched us basically abandon that in increasingly worsening weather with a quarterback who was out of sorts, obviously, by halftime. And again, it's like, what's crazy is like, 
Bajakian, this is it was a horrible game. And again, it's like you history and your track record doesn't matter when you turn in a performance like this against an FCS team. It just doesn't. And that's the same thing. It's like no one, you know, there's no yeah, but when you lose to an an, uh, an FCS team. And I think we're, we're, we, we haven't gotten to the name that is on everyone's lips right now. And it's just like that both of the coordinators were really rough and that was Bajakian's piece of it. Well, I just like one, one last tidbit on Bajakian and again, like, you know, coach coaches i mean i think they get less leeway because of of the salaries they command but um you know like a coach can have a bad day but i think like what we've struggled we we we've struggled to unlock this on um, this offense under bajakian for three years there were weird quarterback decisions last year um you know obviously the 2020 year went went great all things considered the, the offense the first two weeks this this season has been really good and some of it was aggression like we were really aggressive against Nebraska we were really aggressive against Duke and 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 those things worked for us now in a driving wind gale force maybe you need to be you need to be aggressive in a different way but like I'm I'm, I'm okay with Bajakin having a bad day and things going south but just like let's let's call a spade a spade and not put this on exactly Hall fumble and two Holinsky, you know, picks one, which was a tipped ball. Like just call a spade a spade and, and let's take some accountability and, and, and move forward. And like real talk, if, if, the, if this season continues in the trajectory it's in and ends the way last year is like, I, I think we're us and a lot of other people who are already saying it are going to be saying like, you got to replace both these coordinators. You got to get your shit together. Yeah. And I think the, the, with that said, I mean, I, I think again, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And be like, yeah, Northwestern's offense piled up a bunch of yards. I know a lot of you are being like, yeah, against like Duke and Nebraska. Okay. But like, we still piled up a bunch of yards and still had, and like those were yards that we were not getting last year. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and, and Ryan Holinsky's a big piece of that. And you think about this, the fact that Holinsky's getting his first stability wherever, et cetera. And it's like, again, it's like... For first time in his college career that he's had the same offensive coordinator two right, years in a row. Right. And it's like Mike Bajakian has turned in, as far as we can tell, two fine games and one absolutely horrific game. The other side of it is... Jim, on the flip side. Yeah, on the flip oh, side Nelly. is Jim O'Neill. Buckle up. And it is so... This is this is the first piece of it too, and this is where we've always said this, and we'll say it even now as we get into Jim O'Neill hard, is that that Jim O'Neill and Fitz are kind of inextricably linked, and that that affects and colors everything. Um, we talked about the fact that um, We've just been devastated by injuries. And at the start of this game, we found out that we didn't have Cam Mitchell for this game. And we didn't have Jaheim Joseph for this game. So that means this D, if you look at the secondary at the start of the year, was missing both starting quarterbacks, the starting strong safety, and the backup strong safety. That's a ridiculous amount of guys, right? We have everyone from Ore Adai to like Theron Johnson to Garner Wallace, like guys with like like relatively speaking no reps right we even saw kenny soars out there as personnel wise we're just trying to plug in new guys and make it work and 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 so there's that whole piece of it it's like 
we've talked all summer and everything about like where Northwestern stands relative to the issues on the defensive line. And then you take our relative strength and you just devastate it with injuries like this. It's, it's a horrible situation. And then you come back to, yeah, but that's something like, okay, so maybe three, four, five games down the road or in the heart of the Big Ten schedule, that devastates us. That gives you no excuses in an FCS game. It just doesn't. And some of the play calling, and we diagrammed one play in particular on Twitter because it just blew our minds, is this this situation where I almost see it, and this is the, the Fitz piece where it's like this juggling personnel and everything while at the same time being like, we will not rush more than four because we don't do that. We don't rush four in September against an FCS team. That's not how Northwestern operates. That's not our culture. No, we will not do that. While we are juggling personnel in the secondary and trying to make this work. And the play we diagrammed on Twitter was just a a play where you look at it and at the first you're like, well, there's a lot of guys back in coverage. We're only rushing four. And what there really was, was... Well, John, yeah. John, can you can you really just d- describe the play in case people sure. haven't, haven't gone to our Twitter feed to see it? For those of you who haven't seen it. So uh, there was... I'm, tr- I'm trying to, in my head right now, I'm basically being like, I believe it was Southern Illinois was in an empty set with a wide receiver uh, to the left trips wide receiver to the right and a tight end on the line of scrimmage to the right and and to the right. So they had four pass catchers to the right side of the field, including the tight end. We had uh, the outside two receivers with man coverage over the top. Um, We maybe even had three guys in man coverage. I'm trying to vision it in my head. Grayson Metz went out there to help, but Rod Hurd was over the top of the stack of the wide receivers playing safety. Right. And, and just for everyone to remember Rod Hurd, at this point, in terms of Northwestern experience, for guys who played in this game, has exponentially more experience in the secondary than every other guy who was out there. Uh, in terms of Northwestern experience, Jeremiah Lewis has well, Duke experience. But well, John, I like wouldn't some of these other guys have gotten experience had they played a little well, bit in blowout situations last year? Well, that for your sorry, I, I mean yes, we can get back. To you're that. absolutely right, but Rod Hurd for all of his wealth of experience, does not have a lot of experience actually playing safety. Um, he's played every position in the secondary now, including the star position, um, if you fold that in. But he just hasn't had a lot of reps at safety. But that doesn't really matter because he's over the top of that three wide receiver stack to help. If the tight end goes deep and a wide receiver goes deep, the wide receiver is coming off the line first and Rod's got to go with that wide receiver. You might be saying, well... Rod will take one ride receiver and then the other safety will take anyone else. And it's like, yes, that's correct. If there were two safeties back there, which there were not, it was just Rod, which is something teams generally do if they're bringing heat or pressuring you. But we don't do that against FCS teams. And what happened, and the other piece of this was the sole responsibility for covering that tight end was Bryce Gallagher's responsibility. Bryce Gallagher's an awesome middle linebacker. He's the slowest guy in the back seven. Okay. Single. And and again, that's with no safety help. If Southern Illinois sends one of those ride receivers on a deep flag route 
uh, which you better believe they knew and you better believe they did so they could fly that tight end. If you watch the video and you watch Gallagher's reaction a half second into the play, his reaction is, I'm the only guy covering this guy and he's gone. And that's exactly what happened. And again, I keep coming. The reason we highlighted this play was we were a team at this point juggling guys in the secondary and we put a single safety high uh, in. And, and uh, just, an, another part of it, I'm, I'm just looking at it right now, is the, the wide receiver who went on a deep route was the inside slot receiver. So that isolated the, the top two corners right. were, or covering guys who were d- kind of doing in dig routes. Right. So that took the, t- the two corners out of the play. So, you know, you have, you know, Hurd kind of taking the, the slot receiver who's going deep and Gallagher trying to keep up with this tight end. Well, well I think, I, I think the point here though, is that we're trying to get to, and, and it is hard to describe this in an audio medium. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, go to Twitter but, and take a like, look. Yeah. This is like, cause there were some people that were like, Oh, looks like the safety made a mistake. Cause the, you know, cause typically against this type of coverage, you know, the safety should be taking the middle of the field. Like, so g- look it up, search Google search, MOF safety, middle of the field safety, and you'll get a whole bunch of stuff about what Nick Saban does with a single high safety, what Pete Carroll does with a single high safety. Typically, when you're playing single high safety against a bunch of, of, of receiving options, that safety at the snap of the ball drops straight back. And they drop straight back so that they can cover all options. And if there's a if there's a multiple vertical routes coming off of uh, off of the line, you have your corners that are running with those guys and then your safety can can pick and like where do i need to go do i do i take the tight end flying across the field to the you know to to the side where i only had one cornerback or um do i need to do something else but here's the problem is that when when you like observe and again i encourage everyone to go watch this because it's so it this is this is this this was very instructive for me frankly um, in, in the failings of Jim O'Neill. Um, watch the way the, the, the secondary players react to the guys coming off the line. You can see the nickel cornerback shuffling sideways, pointing to Rod Hurd as he lets the number three receiver run by him. I mean, these guys actively handed off the fly route from the inside slot receiver and Hurd was with him step for step and covered him downfield. So, like, the players on the field appeared to do their jobs as they were instructed, as they were told. That's the, that is the crux of this issue. This was not blown coverage. This was not somebody screwed up. This was a ridiculously flawed concept from the get-go. And, it, like, this, and, and, like, and, the, the, and, and the, here's the thing, because some of you may be sitting here being like, so what? It's one play. That play dictated everything Southern Illinois did for the rest of the game. Because after they torched us for that 52-yard pass, they went, they said a couple of things. One, they're like, we have that matchup against their linebackers all day. And two, they said, Pat Fitzgerald ain't bringing more than four guys the rest of this game because he just doesn't do that. So they just hit him. They ended up, this is a crazy stat, 
three FCS receivers, call them receivers, a fullbacks, tight end, running back, FCS players with an average height and weight of 6'2", 245 pounds, had 150 yards on 10 catches. Those are chunk plays by large round individuals <laughs> at the FCS level. And it was all dictated because of that first play. And the I think the, the, the crux of it, the ending of this whole situation was on SIU's final play, their final touchdown pass, they ran a play that traveled by covered wagon. They took their 6'2", 245-pound fullback, sent him all the way to the sideline, and then sent him all the way back to the middle of the field. Now, we blew the coverage on that play because we had a green guy at safety on that play. But that play took eons to run. Southern Illinois ran it because they expected some sort of mismatch in the middle of the field, and they knew we weren't going to send anybody other than those four guys and these are the kind of things where it's like the Jim O'Neill piece of it the Pat Fitzgerald piece of it where you're just like SIU had our number they got our number on that chunk on that gash play at the beginning of the play and then they were like well sweet we're going to that well and I bet it'll be there the rest of the game and it was and it's like so those are the kind of things and it's like injuries not injuries you're losing to a team if you go that way so I just I just want to emphasize like schematically one of the because I, I said I said that play was instructive for me and I think something that I have struggled to see is is how O'Neill's the failings of of O'Neill's scheme compared to Hankowitz's scheme and I and I think like part of our thesis on O'Neill when he was hired and we've said it a bajillion times now that this is a dude that's run the three four everywhere he's ever been and we expected him to, to that we expected that to change at northwestern maybe not in year one but like for those some of those concepts to start showing up for like them to be mixing up the front line we haven't seen it this, this these plays are examples good examples of where hankowitz's scheme was what you call quarters coverage it's what michigan state ran for eons under pat narduzzi the idea is that you you divide the field up into four quarters and you always, always, always keep everything in front of you. It is the definition, bend but don't break. And then Hank was really good at doing a lot of funky stuff underneath with like dropping defensive ends into coverage or um, leveraging a, 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 um, players like Blake Gallagher or... Um, uh, Hall or you know, like fast linebackers or safeties in in the nickel spot or like d- doing other interesting things to be able to like be really strong against against the run, but also disrupt passing schemes. But these these plays, these two plays that that, that John and I have just diagnosed are examples where like the Jim O'Neill scheme, while he's still running a four man front and you know not bringing a ton of pressure, just like Hankowitz didn't bring a ton of pressure. But, but the way this, the back seven is structured is just fundamentally flawed and lends itself to just these, these, these catastrophic collapses. And quarters, quarters coverage would still give up a lot of yards and probably some touchdowns, but would keep this shit in front of them at least. And it just 
like this broke the dam for me, I guess, in some ways that I hadn't, I hadn't seen the issues at, at quite this level of detail before. Well, and, and let's, let's play devil's advocate against ourselves here a little bit because there are sure. some although although an increasingly small amount of you because again the, my, dam, my the dam appears to have burst <laughs> <My> on <Jim laughs> um but let's jump ahead for some of you who've been like look you guys aren't coaches you guys don't know you guys are getting in the weeds whatever at the end of the day this is about the fact that all of our guys are hurt okay let's let's go down that road let's say let's say you're right let's say okay no the issue is that we had Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher and the, one of the Cleveland Browns starting cornerbacks and Greg Newsom and Brandon Joseph and like we don't have those guys anymore and our guys are hurt and that's the situation. Okay, let's say you're right. But now you have a situation where for all of last season and all of this season, statistically, the defense has been an absolute train wreck. And instead of some veteran coach, veteran present presence guy with a long-standing track record as a coordinator right with as many successes to measure against failures where you have the ability to be like look we got to write the ship here we got to let this guy ride it out we got to get we hired a guy with an atrocious track record at this job at the pro level and now at the college level you've created a situation where no one wants to give him rope and I don't know if that includes the athletic director, but you have a situation where a massive percent of the fan portion of the fan base is saying, we don't care. I don't care what the situation is. You hired a guy who's never been good at this job, and now we're horrible at this job. I'm not waiting for you to go ahead and write that ship. And again, it circles all the way back to where Scud started with the Pat Fitzgerald piece of it and everything. And again, it's like weighing the amazing culture and the personal accountability and the brotherhood and the togetherness with this situation that he created that now colors everything that happened, regardless of the amount of injuries or the amount of whatever. It's just Northwestern sitting on the 106th rated defense in the country with almost all the best offenses on our schedule still to come. And with a guy whose track record has no, I mean, someone pointed out to us that, I mean, Jim O'Neill has been a coach for 17 years and three of those have been winning teams. I mean, and it's just like, there's, there's no track record here. And that's going to compound any kind of problems you have in the eyes of the fan base. And again, you're, you're creating a situation that, that is just so exacerbated that, that didn't have to exist. And that's, I think, where a lot of us are right now. And, and what's frustrating above all that is... You, you know, we talked about Nebraska earlier. They've made changes. They fired their defensive coordinator a week after firing Scott Frost, you know, when the, the defense continued to look like crap. They're, they're at least trying something, right? Like, this isn't working. We need to, we need to change. Cue Hamilton. I didn't know that was a thing you could do. Yeah, yeah right. And, and that's, <laughs> and that's, that's, I suppose, right. I mean, and again, we're, we're not Nebraska. Thank God we're Northwestern. Um, and, but, it is an instructive counterpoint to the idea of, well, you know, more rope, like he's got to, you know, at the end of the season, you know, we've got to be, at the end of the season, you're going to be calling for him and we got to give him more rope. And it's like a lot of teams would have fired him Sunday 
And I mean, that's just, we're not that, we're not that program. We're not that culture, but it's just one of those things. And it's like, I think it's, it's that thing that everyone has to, to keep in the back of their minds. And I think there's that piece right now where, and this is something that I was thinking about a, a little bit because I think their Northwestern nation is, is saying, you know, out with Jim O'Neill right now. Like that is, that is just a, a roaring inferno right now. I, my hope is that against, you know, all odds and against everything and against all the injuries we're dealing with and just like it's just things couldn't be in a worse situation, Northwestern's going to find a path and right the ship and that we're going to find some wins down the stretch here. Um, that's what I really hope happens. If it doesn't happen, though, and Northwestern just stays at this level, 106th in the nation, or continues to get worse and ends up in, you know, the similar place that we were in last year— my personal belief um, is that regardless, again, regardless of whether the injuries are the issue or whether it's Jim O'Neill's issue, I believe Jim O'Neill is going to be gone. Um, and a big part of that is the Derek Gragg piece of this. Um, and I think it's it's kind of useful to, to step back and look at kind of Derek Gragg's situation, right? And, and I, again, I... It's it sucks. It's like the kind of thing where it's like this, a loss like this sucks, and it's so bad that it puts you in this situation. It's like, look, I I want us to start winning football games starting next week, you know, and then get into conference play and do that crazy magic Northwestern's found a way to do. But if it doesn't come together, you're gonna have a situation where a season's ending, right as you know one of the most cynical basketball seasons really since like you know the Kevin O'Neill era is ramping up, right? A well, John, John, not not even basketball season. I mean, keep it in the football season. They're trying to raise money for a new stadium. How, exci- how excited are donors going to be to donate to a, a program that is just continuing to lose? Right. But I'm, I just think I'm, I think Derek Gregg's a really smart guy, and he's also a guy who's been an AD for a long time. He's not new to this, right? And that— he's at- He's let staffs go before— and um, and you'd have at the start at the start of of a basketball season that to a lot of people is going to effectively exist to serve a nine million dollar buyout um, that Derek Gregg had nothing to do with, but is effectively kind of his hands are tied by right that at the exact moment that season's ramping up, at the end of a of a horrific season he's going to announce that he's retaining Jim O'Neill. I just don't see that as something that an AD does. I just don't see that. Um, and so, again, that's my own personal take. And again, that's putting nine chickens before they've hatched. We have so much football left on this schedule. I'm just like, this is all, I mean, we feel this way. We're listening to the reactions of the listener base, the fan base, you know, email circles that we're on, conversations we see happening. This is where everybody is right now. And we want to, you know, write the ship. We want to see this happening, you know, if, and you, you hope that it does, but Again, my own personal belief is that if the ship doesn't write itself, I don't, you know, I think that this will be a decision that Derek Gregg will make. But again, like I said, I, that I, I hate, this is the kind of, this is why we like sat on this for another day and didn't want to do this is because it's like, this is the, the well that we are down, that Northwestern fans are down after this game. And, and again, it's like you, it's it's a rough place to be. It's a place that leads to a lot of people saying a lot of fiery things, etc. But we're the only Power Five team to lose to an FCS school, and that that is what it is. I w- I do want to move on. Yeah, um, let, can we, we can we talk about a couple like small good things? Yeah, please. 
So um, I'm I'm just I'm just gonna fire off a couple notes. Um, like so, first of all, we already mentioned the running backs, but like Evan Hall, twenty five carries, hundred twenty five yards. Uh, TD, yes, he had that 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 fumble in a critical moment. He also had eight catches for only thirty three yards. Like they they were really spying him, but um, you know, coming off of that awesome performance against Duke, uh, he still put up you know over one hundred fifty yards. Uh, I think he had a pretty darn good game. Uh, Malik Washington. He only had four catches, but he averaged 19 yards per catch. And I like to me, th- like through three games, Malik Washington is just a playmaker. Like he 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 steps up in big spots. I think we probably need to look for him a little more, a little bit more often. Maybe scheme a little bit more for him. Um, I'll throw Marshall Lang's name out there. Caught three balls uh, in addition to, to two from Thomas Gordon. We can see you see that tight end position developing. Um, and then on the defensive side, the name I really want to call out is Theron Johnson, because I thought Theron Johnson was a heat-seeking missile on Saturday, especially covering um, uh, short passes or runs out to the to the boundary. Um, he just he tackled really well. He was aggressive. Um, I, I I didn't go back and watch the tape, so I can't speak to like how he performed across the board in coverage, et cetera. But like. He stood out to me two or three different times. He had at least two pass breakups based on the, the the box score. I thought he was great, and and like a small upside of the the mess we watched on Sunday or on Saturday is that we're building some secondary depth in real time. And also shout outs to Xander Miller who got a sack and an interception. Um, his second interception being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he had a really solid game as well. And, and I mean, to juxtapose, and again, we know a lot of it's by horrible necessity, but if you're looking for silver linings, I mean, you can look and I mean, I'm just going down the list here, but I mean, Xander Miller, Theron Johnson, Garner Wallace, Najee Story, Grace. Oh yeah, Nets Story even, had a good game too. Um, Garnet Hollis, Aiden Hubbard, um, Jalen Pate. These are all guys who even now, have almost no reps. And every time one of those guys is on the field, they're building super valuable experience that matters for the future. So again, it's like you're I you know, in, in a situation where I know not many people are in the move for silver linings, but those are a lot of young guys getting a lot of meaningful reps. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. Can I throw out another silver lining by way of transition? Sure. Uh, Miami, Miami of Ohio's starting quarterback who had me terrified to death when we did our previews back in July, uh, will not be playing on Saturday because he got unfortunately injured in the first game of the year against Kentucky. Yeah. So let, let's, let's go ahead and, and pivot to this weekend's game. Um, Six thirty kickoff. So in, a night game that should be, should be fun. Um, hopefully that means more people will come out to the stadium. Uh, at least one can hope. Uh, but yeah, Miami, Ohio comes in uh, one and two after you know getting up early on Cincinnati this past weekend and then proceeding to you know give up a ton of unanswered points uh, 
to lose 38-17. Um, because you mentioned uh, the quarterback situation, Avion Smith is uh, playing quarterback for them right now uh, against Cincinnati, 9 of 21, 116 yards. Uh, that's five and a half yards per, per play. Uh, two touchdowns, one pick. So, well, um, that, nine completions, two touchdowns. And this is very, like, this is very on, on par with last year where they, they threw a touchdown uh, pass on one out of every, like, 11 attempted passes was a touchdown. Like, this team just, like, throws deep a lot. Yeah, and to Hippenhammer, right, who yeah. is – he's been um, their – their go-to receiver for a couple of years now. I think he was a Penn State transfer. He's big, and they just throw it up for him. But like you said, they don't have their starting quarterback. I mean, a lot of you are wondering. First of all, a lot of you, I can we can hear the collective groans from here of everyone who saw that Northwestern six and a half point favorite line and was like, "Oh God, the ki- <laughs> the kiss of death." Um, but a lot of you have to be wondering, how in God's name can we be a six and a half point favorite over anybody right now? And it's like. Because Miami of Ohio is is a mess. And I think we were watching the um, – the I mean, we were looking at the stats for Miami of Ohio and realizing that even those stats are kind of skewed because, like you said, their, their, their quarterback who drove the whole thing has been gone. And I think the, the, the whole issue with them is if you watch that Cincinnati game, they actually jumped on Cincinnati early, which is one of those things where it's like, uh, speaking of, I didn't know that was something you could do. They jumped all over Cincinnati. We're up 10 nothing, and then 17-7. And then Cincinnati scored 31 unanswered points and won 38-17. Sounds great. Awesome. Let's, let's, let's try that. Um, the, but they got two lucky breaks early. Cincinnati fumbled twice, I think, on the two of their first three possessions. And Miami of Ohio turned those into points. Miami of Ohio didn't have any success on long fields all day. And that's because they don't, they, like you said, their quarterback's not accurate. They lost their their starting quarterback, who's their best player. But what they'll try to do is pretty clear. They've got this guy, Hippenhammer, who is a big ball catching receiver. And they know that our, potentially, our secondary is completely green. And they're just going to try to attack us deep, throw deep to this guy. He's a good receiver. And they're going to throw it up. This guy's not an accurate quarterback, but he's got a strong arm. This is what they tried to do against Cincinnati. It didn't particularly work that well, um, but that's what they do. I mean, that's what I'd do if I was looking at the one thing that they appear to have on offense and then looking at where our secondary is right now. They're going to try to throw bombs and just see what happens. Um, and and again, I think this is <laughs> it's one of those things because everyone's like, don't tell me anything about how Miami of Ohio is not good. I don't want to hear it. That's not where we are right now. And I'm like, I get it. I'm just there. If statistically, for sure, the worst team on our schedule right now, it's them in Iowa. And then there's a big gap and then there's everyone else. So it's like, we got to grab this win for sure. Um, it's, it's, there's no buts about it. This is an absolute must have. We played them in the fall of, I want to say 2015. Um, and it was a night game then as well. And uh, I'm going to find it here real quick. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Ball State. We played Ball State in a night game uh, back in 2015. And we only won by five. And part of the part of the problem was that they had just this enormous wide receiver 
uh, Jordan Williams Lambert, who was like 6'4 and uh, 250 pounds. And he, he just he would just run 10 yards upfield and turn around and we'd throw it to him. I think Nick Van Hoos was covering him and was giving up like a foot and a half. Height, <laughs> and um, they just throw it high, and he'd catch it every time. It was, it was. I think he must have been like six six, uh, but like, I anticipate a similar sort of game against Miami of Ohio this this coming weekend, and that doesn't mean we can't win. Um, it's just like, folks, like it is going to be, it's it it it's going to be hard, and they're probably going to hit hit at least one to hip and hammer and everybody's going to say, Oh no, here we go again. And you just got to stay the course and hope like coaching staff be better. Yeah. Hey, players be better. Let's not turn the ball over. Let's not let false starts get in the way. Like, like we've got to clean up some of that mess. We've got to stay focused. I felt like there was a, a a kind of a loss of, there's a moment. I think Northwestern got a turnover. They're up 14-7. Looked like they were going to you know, go up 21-7 pretty easily against SIU. Seemed like, oh, yeah, this is going to work out pretty well. And then, uh, you know, tip ball pick. Like, didn't didn't take much for it to, 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 to kind of turn around. And then everybody tightens up. Like, don't let that happen. Stay loose. Stay on top of it. Um, let's not make mistakes. And uh, this can, this you know, we can come out on the other side as 2-2 as two and two going into conference season proper, which is, you know, not quite where we wanted to be, but um, better than where we are today. And better than one and three, that's for sure. Right, yep. and, and it's I think it's right. It serves all of us, especially at our mental state. Don't think about the Big Ten schedule right now. Let's just, just think about Miami of Ohio. Let's just work at this game, right? Um, and let's just right the ship here, get this win, and then we can let, take a look at the conference schedule. Uh, so speaking of the conference, just kind of – Running through uh, the rest of this weekend's schedule, uh, you got Chattanooga at Illinois, uh, Maryland to Michigan. Um, that could be interesting. If, yeah, uh, Mar- I think that's interesting for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's Michigan's first real test, first of all, right? And I think the, I think Michigan sort of, and certainly Michigan fans want to fashion themselves as. In the J.J. McCarthy era, they are now the juggernaut that cannot be stopped. Well, let's see it against Maryland. If that's true, let's see it because Maryland's a pretty good team. Uh, Penn State hosting Central Michigan. Penn State's number fourteen. I so uh, you know I I I, uh, I just saw that. Are I, you kidding me? I so I don't. <laughs> I've got to let this sit because I literally just said I don't want to look at the Big Ten schedule and <laughs> I watched every second of that Penn State Auburn game and there's a lot I could say about Penn State but I think I'm just going to table it and save it. Let's, for, let's save for save that week. for next week. Yeah. Save that for next week. Uh, we got Minnesota at Michigan State. Um, you know, Michigan State licking their wounds after going out to Seattle and getting torched by Michael Penix. They ain't gonna have to worry. They ain't gonna have to worry about that this week. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but like, lick faster because I think they're in for a hurting of a different variety. It's yeah. possible. Uh, Indiana at Cincinnati. Um, game at Nippert. That could be, you know, Indiana three and zero. Good for them. You know, we. We were hoping that they would come bring it back but, by the uh, skin of their teeth, but they're getting yeah, wins. Yeah, they're uh, pretty. They're, they 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 could be. They're like an inch and a half away from being one and two. Yeah, sure, but sure. if they pull if they pull it out against Cincinnati, ain't no one going to remember that. But that's a much easier said than done. Iowa at Rutgers. 
Iowa seven and a half point favorite over under 35 and a half. Hide your kids, hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your wife. There was a there was a really funny um I forget if it was Nicole Auerbach or who it was who had this but like Iowa's offense scored two touchdowns and they promptly delayed the game like in a oh god nobody like stop watching uh stop the count <laughs> Well on the flip side didn't Ruck I mean didn't Rutgers beat Temple like 14-12 or something like that it was some yeah, just 16-14 I think Oh god I'm just like there Lord have mercy Yeah I'm just yeah I was still a lot better than Rutgers. Certainly on defense. Wisconsin at Ohio State. Um, oh, that's you know, this weekend? That's this weekend. Oh, boy. Yeah. 6.30 kick, so it's the same time as our game. So last time I checked the score, Ohio State had scored 77 points against Toledo. What was the final? I think it was that. Yeah. My God. My God. They, is... they, 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 somebody had to pay for that uh, that lackluster performance against Notre Dame. Yeah, 77-21 was 77-21. the final. 77-21. We came, we came into this season thinking Wisconsin was the favorite in the West. I think we're still – Wisconsin's still clinging to that by their fingernails. It all goes down to the degree of the beating that they are probably going to take in this game, I think, is going to determine whether – whether we're ready to, to potentially pass that to the Gophers or not, but with that it all depends. Uh, depending on nah. depending on how Minnesota does against Michigan State, and depending yeah. on how how Ohio State goes against Wisconsin, I'd say we're going to be looking at for a lot out of those games. And then uh, also at six thirty, uh, you got Florida Atlantic at Purdue. Um, you know Purdue coming off that tight tight loss at uh, the. Artist formerly known as the Carrier Dome. Purdue is what? They're one and two right now? Is one that... and two, yes. Statistically, they're a very good football team. I think they have a top, I want to say, a, like a top 35 offense and a top 35 defense. They just don't have the wins to show for it. That that de- that defense number is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. They, like... Yeah, they still have a lot more, but they've played, I mean, they've played a couple high-profile teams. Again, I'm like, do I... Uh, I I desperately hope, 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 hope that that's still one of the teams we can get at. But that's a long way down the road. I don't want to think yeah. about that let's, right now. Let's, let's wait and see what happens this weekend. Because yeah. I think, like, like, coming out of this weekend, I think we're going to be able to pretty much bake the Northwestern schedule. I mean, I like, I can't, I like, if we lose, if we're one in three coming out of the non-con with, with what we've seen to date, I, like, I can't fathom a 2018 style turnaround where we started that season one and four with, you know, we started, we, we beat Purdue, yeah. lost the three non-con, lost to, Michigan, lost to Michigan, then turned it around. But like, I like, I know, I know, I know there's a lot of optimism out there that like, Oh, you know, the, we've seen this before they can turn it around. Yes. I, I agree. Um, lose again. This but we've weekend, also seen it go the other way yeah, before as well. Yeah. So. Lose, lose again this weekend. And I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel like we're, we're, yeah. we're headed, headed for another rough one. Let's just be Miami of Ohio, and then we can go from there. Like, come on. Let's just, yeah. just, just get this done. Um, I, you know, we could go through the, the rest of the national slate, but, uh, you know, I don't really want to right nope. now. I think uh, go ahead and put a bow on this one. Um, any final thoughts before we go? Oh, that was fun. Boy, the uh, – this 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 is this one's up there with the least fun pods to have to do. It's like no, all I can say is I mean like everything we said about the coordinators and everything. I 
like play like your jobs are on the line pull those irons out of the fire and let's write the ship let's just do it against miami of ohio and then let's just let's just let's write the ship i don't i i want to see the path let's find it let's just let's just go uh what one last thing before we go um we are going to be in the east lot tailgating uh 6 30 start uh so we're going to be there most of the afternoon uh you know we got officially in the east lot for the for the entirety of the season so um definitely excited for that so yeah uh, i know a number of people came by last week um said hi we really appreciate you know talking to everyone who was able to come by uh so yeah this weekend is again um Swing by the East Lot on your way in. We're right by the uh, entrance to Wildcat Alley. And, uh, yeah, come say hey. You know, we can all drown our sorrows together in uh, a wonderful variety of beverages. Yeah, a lot of high ABV in the cooler at the West Lot Pirate, <laughs> the West Lot Tailgate. So, yeah, come come find us. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlotpirates. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe, Eric Skazba, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.